again, we're in Romans chapter 12, but this time we start at verse 14. And uh, we'll read to the end of the chapter. The uh, way it's looking to me right now is we'll have sermon today on these last uh, uh, verses in Romans 12, and then next week one more sermon, and that will complete Romans 12. So um, our two-year journey through Romans 12 uh, may end um, next week or the week after, whatever. So we come to this passage of Scripture. If you're glancing at it, you'll notice first thing it says is, bless those who persecute you. And I'm going to tell you, as I was thinking about our time in the Word uh, for this morning throughout the week, I just sort of started off, uh, I think probably where most of us do, uh, and that is, well, bless those who persecute you. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a Jesus thing. Uh, he said, bless your enemies and pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you, pray for your enemies. Uh, that's that's kind of like what Jesus says to do. So uh, th this will be a great sermon on uh, being nice to each other. And uh, when people irritate you, just go ahead and turn the other cheek and, and uh, be nice and Christ-like. And, uh, and, you know, and, and it was looking like it, it could be a pretty good sermon. You know, find a couple of illustrations, an Old Testament uh, example, uh, end with a picture of Christ and uh, a poem, and then, then you're done. And so it was a nice sermon. And so I thought, you know, pretty nice sermon. But then as I got to looking at it, I realized it says, bless those who persecute you. It doesn't say bless those who irritate you. By the way, bless the people who irritate you. If I'm annoying you right now, go ahead and bless me. Don't bless me out, but bless me. Uh, you know, so it's okay to bless people who irritate you and who are annoying and things like that. But it's not talking about the annoying person, the occasional person who, who every now and then maybe upsets your life for a little bit. It says, bless the person who persecutes you. Now, in Greek, the word for persecution and the word for chasing or running after something, uh, it, it's the same word. And if you think about it, and I looked this up on the internet, so it has to be true, um, the word persecution and the word pursue come from the same word. They're in the same family. The person who pursues you is submitting you to pursuing cation, persecution. And the idea behind persecution is that somebody is hounding you to death. Somebody is just after you all the time. They're just nipping at your heels. They're chasing after you, and you can't get away from them. You can't ignore them. They're just there all the time. And the idea of persecution is that they are invading your life, taking control of your life, and just harming your life and pouring evil and destructive things into your life. And that's the idea of persecution. Now, that's a little bit different than just the occasional annoying person. Now, when we're talking about a persecutor, uh, we are talking about someone who willfully and out of, out of an evil intent is just destroying the joy and the happiness that you would have in your life. Never uh, done that to you. I know in my life I can only think of one person that I thought was actually out to get me, um, and he didn't succeed. But uh, anyway, but I could only <laughs> think of one person, and it's not who you think it was. But uh, it, 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 there's only one person I can think of who was really out to get me. And by and large, I, I think most people, if, if they've done injury to me, it, it, they just didn't know what they were doing. They were clumsy. Uh, I heard it from Sam Levinson, and so I will attribute this to Sam Levinson. The quote actually comes from Robert Heinlein, but we're not going to quote him in church, but, uh, if you know who Heinlein is. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Sam Levinson said, never attribute to malice 
what can equally well be attributed to stupidity. And you'll find you get along in life a lot better if when somebody does something that hurts you and is, and is you know, just sort of opposed to you, what's that? Try your best to say, well, they're just dumb. Or they're, they're ignorant, they're, maybe they're clumsy, maybe they don't know what they're doing. Attribute it to something else. Make them prove they're out to get you. By the way, that guy proved he was out to get me. Oh, okay, I'm over it. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, so the, the persecutor, though, is someone who's intentional about it. And, uh, and there seems to be no end to it and no way out of it. Now, of course, in the, in the New Testament, we're talking about actual persecution for the faith. Um, because you have become a Christian, uh, there's someone who is seeking to take your property, your family, your job, whatever it is. And this, is, this was a common experience for the first 300 years of church history. Uh, when you were invited to Christ, you were invited to uh, a life being persecuted by the folks around you. Uh, and it wasn't just a nice song invited to come and die. It, it was really, it was the reality of it that you really risked your life to become a Christian. And in that context, Paul says, the one who's persecuting you, those who are after you because of your faith, you bless them. Don't you curse them, you, you bless them. And that's what I want you to do. Now perhaps we're not being persecuted because of our faith, but there are people who have sought to do harm in our lives, some of them with real evil intent. Um, on a Father's Day, we're so thankful for our fathers, but we're also mindful that for some people, thankfully not all, but for some people, the word father is not a happy word. It's a word that's filled with uh, abuse and rejection and abandonment. And that's the kind of situation that will inflict damage your whole life long. You'll carry those scars forever. And, and whenever you think of what's going on in your life, you'll immediately go back to what happened in, in, in the home where you grew up. And, and a dad, perhaps, who either intentionally or by, by his absence, whatever, just put scars into a young heart that you're still dealing with today. Um, that's, a, that's a kind of persecution. That's a kind of of action of one person that has, that has robbed you of a part of your, your life. And so we might be thinking of that. There are other kinds and ways in which uh, there's somebody in your life that you're just finding it real hard to cope with and real hard to forgive, real hard to love, because the damage they're doing is just that great. And so when we come to our time in the Word a little bit later on, that's what we'll be talking about, uh, not... Uh, so much persecution on a historical level uh, you know, of governmental persecution of, of Christians, so much as in life, those situations in which someone is chasing you down, hounding you for evil purposes, what do you do uh, because of your faith in Christ? So we'll be looking at that this morning. It's found in Romans chapter 12. We start reading in verse 14. We're going to read through verse 21. This morning, I'm, I'm going to skip over verses 15 and 16 during, during the sermon, um, and we'll come back to those next week. But for this morning, here's our text. And bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, I just want to take a moment to thank and to praise you for the way in which you have sent men into our lives who have guided us and led us. Father, for uh, those men who have been our fathers on earth. Father, for those men who are raising small children and still just trying to figure out what's happening. For fathers who have older children and are starting to plan for the future and looking for ways to guide their children into living on their own and taking care of themselves. For fathers whose children have left the home and now they're beginning to enjoy the, the, um, the relationship of maturity with their children. Father, I lift up men such as these and pray that you give each one wisdom and strength and encouragement. And Father, in these men, you would let yourself be known as our Heavenly Father who sets the pattern, who sets the goal that we want to be like. Father, there's also a kind of grief with this day for fathers who are absent from us, some temporarily, perhaps in deployment, others, Father, who have gone on. We just pray your blessings, your consolation, your peace, that this day would be filled with time spent looking heavenward, giving you thanksgiving and praise for those who have been uh, leaders and fathers in the home. And Father, giving you glory and praise that you are our Heavenly Father, and that through your Son, we can know you and call you our Abba. Father, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This could be the hardest sermon you ever hear. Not because it's not a good sermon, it is. And not because the preacher is not good, because... Thank you, he is. Uh, but we come to a text of Scripture that is hard to the point of being painful to apply to our lives. In fact, in many ways, this verse of scripture to bless those who persecute you in many ways that becomes the moment at which you will find out how deeply devoted you are to Christ and how much you really want to walk in his footsteps when you come to an injunction that says something like bless the person who has injured you the most and is continuing to injure you and has no prospect of stopping that injury bless that person anyway and at that moment, you're either going to say, yes, Lord, to, for the glory of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will bless that person. Or you say, Jesus, you've reached the limit, and I can't go that far with you. You see, this verse brings our relationship with Christ into a real moment of decision, if not crisis, because up until this point, you can pretty much go along with, hey, it's wonderful to be a Christian, love the songs, love the worship, love the sermon, you know, just love all those things, like Bible study, like the theology, uh, love all those things. But then it comes to the point of the person who hurt you the most, can you bless that person? And now you've got to decide, with all the emotion laid to one side and all the fun parts and all the 
the wondrous parts, and now it gets down to what the Greeks used to call the nitty and gritty. Because <laughs> you've got to decide, what am I going to do? Paul said, bless those who persecute you. And I remind you that here in Romans chapter 12, we're looking at what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. That's why we started with verse 1, where Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God. What mercies? The mercy of God that he gave to us in Christ Jesus when he sent his son to die for us who were hateful towards God and we were enemies of God and we were, were not any way interested in the things of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ was sent and he died for us. And then he rose again on the third day and now we are given by the power of the Holy Spirit a new life to walk in the power of the resurrection. And by that mercy, Paul says, I implore you, present your bodies, present your day-to-day living to God as a living sacrifice, as a living act of worship to God because that's all that makes sense. And if you're going to worship the Father, here's what happens. You're going to look more and more like Jesus. So as we look at Romans 12, it it, it sometimes looks like just a series of do this, do this, do this, do this. But in point of fact, it's as if Paul was saying, now I want you to worship the Father. I want you to glorify the Father through the Son. And now let me describe Jesus to you. And everything we've been talking about in Romans 12 is just a way of talking about who Jesus is. Because Jesus knew what it was to bless those who persecuted him. You know that on the cross, as he was dying, one of his final thoughts was for those who were killing him, those who were persecuting him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea where this fits into the grand scheme of things in the universe. Father, they don't know where this fits into your plan for us. Father, forgive them. So Jesus knew how to bless those who persecuted him. On the other hand, I've I've got to confess, I thought of the times when Jesus said things to the Pharisees like hypocrite. You know, when he mentioned to folks who were unwilling to respond to the invitation of the master to the wedding feast, you remember that parable? He said, well, they'll be kicked into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. My dentist tells me I gnash my teeth and at, at night, so oh, I don't want to do that forever. So, uh, but, but Jesus talked about a judgment. He talked about a condemnation. He talked about the fact that lives that were lived in, in, in hostility to God were, were, were uh, just living, um, earning the, uh, the judgment of God and the condemnation of God. So evidently, Jesus knew how to strike the balance between justice and mercy. He knew how to talk about, here's what is right, here's what is just, and if that is unjust, you need to stop it, we need to take care of it, we need to just reorder things, get rid of the injustice. He knew how to talk about mercy, that there is forgiveness, and that there is a way out of being admired in the injustices of your own life. Jesus knew how to talk about the justice and the mercy, and so when Paul, the follower of Jesus, says, we need to bless those who persecute us, our image and our exemplar is Jesus. Jesus, who knew how to turn to someone and say, you know what you're doing is wrong. Knew how to turn to someone who was abusive and said, we're not going to cover up for you anymore. We're not going to make excuses for you anymore. We're not going to pretend in denial that this doesn't happen anymore. We're going to call you out on the wrong you are doing, but we're going to call you out in love so that you might know the blessings of God's forgiveness. 
You see, when you know Jesus, you're not afraid of the truth and you can confront those who are evil, but you can do so without losing your soul to hatred. And so Paul says, I want you to bless those who persecute you. And as I look at that, I think, you know, this, this means being like Jesus in that way. Now, I imagine that some of you are looking at this, and again, it's, it's pretty much theoretical, and you're thinking, well, if that ever happens to me, I hope I can bless those who persecute me. The others of you are thinking of a particular person, time, and place right now. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but there are, th- this room has enough people in it. There are people right now who are thinking about, there's somebody out to get me. There's somebody who is persecuting me. There's somebody who is hounding me and robbing me of the joy of life and taking away my sense of satisfaction in life. It's the kind of person I know I'm going to have to encounter them every day. And every time I think about it, I just know it's going to be a painful experience. It's just going to be hard to get through. And you're thinking about that person right now. And what you're saying about that person is, I don't think so. You tell me to bless that person. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, years ago, I had a friend, he was, a, he was a, in the ministry, a pastor, and uh, we were having lunch together, and he was complaining about another pastor. Believe that, or not, that actually happens. And uh, this, this, uh, this friend of mine, he was talking about this other pastor, whom I also knew, and he was just talking about everything that guy had done wrong to him how he had sabotaged his ministry, how he had overlooked him, how he had put him down, how he had insulted him, how he had had held him up for public ridicule, and on and on and on it went. And I thought to myself, I've got him. I've got it nailed. I looked at him. And he said, now look, what would Jesus do? (laughs) Man, I was nailing it on all cylinders. Holy Spirit of God was using me that day. What would Jesus do? And my friend looked at me and he said, I don't care what Jesus would do. Now, folks, a lot of us get to that point. And there's somebody who's hurtful and somebody who's really twisting things in our lives. There's somebody doing the persecution thing to us. And we look at that and, we, and maybe not audibly, maybe not in those words, but essentially we're saying, I don't care what Jesus would do. And the reason we say that is because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we say something nice or we offer forgiveness or or we we bless the person who's really hurting us, we're just afraid we're going to get lost in the shuffle. You know, if somebody's persecuting me and they're saying all kinds of things about me and and I say, well, that's okay, let's try to understand them. They're not malicious, they're just stupid. And, you know, and and try to, that's a blessing. And, And so, you know, try to get through that. And we say that kind of thing. We're afraid that that nobody will listen to our side of the story. Nobody will listen to the hurt that we've had. Nobody will listen to how our lives are being affected. And we're afraid that if anything positive goes in that other person's direction from us, people are going to say, well, you must be fine with it. And we're going to get lost. We're afraid. And we're human. This is how you know the old sin nature keeps coming back. Because it... It can't take, you know, somebody coming at me, I've got to go back at them. You know that whole thing, you come at me with a knife, I, I get a gun. You get a gun, I get a bigger gun. We're human and we're afraid. And this morning, there may be somebody in your life, and when it comes to that person, you turn to Jesus and say, I don't care what you think. This is the limit. This is where I stop. 
I've reached the edge of my faith. I've re reached the edge of, of my belief. And I won't go any further than this. So let's look at, at the scripture real quickly and see what, what uh, Paul has to say of that. Again, verse, verse 14, then we'll skip down to uh, 17 and read from there. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I remind you of the historical context. To be a Christian was to be persecuted in that day. For the first 300 years to be a Christian was to be persecuted. I don't, I don't know what kind of preaching um, they, they, they did, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't plant a seed faith and God will bless you. Just claim it, name it, frame it. You're going to be as rich as, as you could possibly imagine. Why just have a word of faith and God will give you whatever you need. You will just be blessed and rich and prosperous and faithful. I don't think they preach it. I think they preach things like, you know, they're coming for us today. Let's all be like Jesus. They took our brother to jail yesterday. Let's go visit him so the authorities know we're on his side. I think it was a lot of preaching about what to do in adversity. You know, you would lose your, 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 your property. You would lose your, your, your job. The, the, the local community didn't want to have anything to do with you. The government eventually, and then Nero, and then Diocletian, they, they just, you know, they, they wanted to, to destroy this thing called Christianity. And that's what it meant. And Paul said, in the midst of that, don't sink to the level. You be sure and bless them and do not curse them. So that, that was the historical context. But the, the principle applies. Those people who are seeking to kill you, those people who are seeking to rob you of life and take things away from you, who are out to get you, you be sure you don't curse them, but bless them. Man, that's hard to do. You know, the word bless in, uh, in, in the Greek text is, is a word that literally means speak well of someone. Say nice things about them, okay? Uh, so they're persecuting me, and the nicest thing I can say is, he's not as bad as other people, you know? Or, you know, whatever it is. It, it's, it's hard to think of nice things to say. Um, it's easier to think of some bad things to say. But Paul says, you can be sure and bless them and don't curse them. Uh, we just need to go through the text fairly quickly. Um, down there in verse 17, he says, and repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You see, how we respond takes place in a social context. There are people who are looking at us and they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian? And do they look at our lives when we are being persecuted, when we are suffering unjustly and unfairly? And do they, do they say things like, oh, to be a Christian means you follow Jesus up to a point. Do they look at our lives and say to be, to be a follower of Jesus Christ means that you're sold out to Jesus until the cost is too high? Do they say that, that to be a Christ follower means that there are some people excluded from your, your love and excluded from the grace and excluded from the mercy of God? There are some people who aren't worthy in, but if you're on the inside of his circle, that's fine. Or is there a world that looks at believers and Jesus Christ scratches its head and said, I don't understand this kind of love and I don't understand this kind of grace and this kind of mercy that can overlook the wrong and the hurt and in a positive, creative way can yet be, be, be offering a blessing to someone who has hurt them like that. But you know, when you teach that lesson by example, then it's a little bit easier for somebody to understand how God and grace has forgiven us when we don't deserve it. And how God's mercy has rescued us, even though we didn't even want it. 
That's the grace and the mercy of God. And so Paul says, uh, you know, uh, uh, try to think about how to do the honorable thing in the sight of all. That doesn't mean do what everybody else thinks is good. It means as everybody's watching, you do what God wants you to do to honor God. Now, sometimes what honors God is being forthright and confrontational. Sometimes what honors God is bringing a person to face the reality of their actions. You know, if you don't do that, they'll be stuck in it for the rest of their lives. There's, there's some people who know what we're talking about here. You, you're, you're thinking about a loved one, a, a relative, or someone who's been abusive to you in your life. And for your whole life, you've never said anything because you didn't want to hurt them. And you didn't look. If you leave them in that kind of abusive behavior, they are hurting themselves. And they will continue to do so. The best thing when someone is sick is to tell them to go see a doctor. The best thing to do when somebody is abusive is to tell them they need to stop and find help and get out of that prison of abusive behavior that they're in. But to do so in a loving way and in a forgiving way, in a way that doesn't exalt self, trying to get even and trying to inflict hurt for hurt, but rather in a way that is truly interested in the welfare, the blessing of that person. It's hard to do, but that's what we're called to do. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then verse 18, it says, if possible, I love this. This verse is so realistic. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You see, there's some people you just can't get along with, and it's their fault. See, I'm assuming this whole time that you're not persecuting anybody right now. But, but you know, there's some people, they're just hard to get along with. They're never going to respond, and you know that. And at some point for your own health, spiritual and emotional and mental health, you just have to say, fine, when you're ready, I'm ready. But until then, I'm not going to beat my head against a brick wall for you. I like to... Uh, Compare it, you've, you've heard this before, and so you're going to hear it again. Compare it to two hotel rooms that, that are next to each other, and they have that little connector door with them. It's always two doors, isn't it? At least two locks. <laughs> Better have two locks. But it's usually it's two doors, and each door has a lock. Well, you can't force somebody to come and have a relationship, a loving relationship with you. All you can do is make sure that the door on your side is unlocked and ready. And then the other person has to answer for themselves. But as much as you are able, if it's at all possible, live in peace with all men. Sometimes they won't let you, but if you can, do it. Because that's what honors the Father. Just quickly moving on. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't constantly try to get even. Don't try to, to get vengeance. Now, here's how you know the old person, the old sin nature is still active. You think about getting even. Oh, come on. Yes, you do. You know you do. All right. You're better people than I am. I think about getting even. I mean, uh, years ago, I had a problem with the mortgage. They wanted to charge me mortgage insurance. I didn't want the insurance. I said, take it off the bill. Uh, They said, yes, yes, we'll do that. The next month, they charged me for it. And uh, every month I was calling the same lady, nice lady. Every month she would promise, yes, I'll take care of that. We'll take it off your bill. She never did. I started threatening her. No, in my mind, I started threatening her. You know what I threatened to do? I threatened to send her flowers. Because she would have this big bouquet of flowers on her desk. And people would walk by and say, hey, nice flowers. Where would you get those? Who gave them to you? Mr. Kempson gave them to me. I won't fix his problem for him. You know, I wanted to make her so embarrassed that she would help me out. If you ever try that, let me know if it works. 
But, it, but it's terrible. I, I hate the way God does this because whenever I'm getting ready for a sermon, he always sends things into my life that show me that I'm not doing what I'm going to preach on. <laughs> so uh, the church is having this problem with, with trash collection. I don't know if you've noticed it. We have a dumpster, and it hasn't been uh, collected for about three to four years, I think. And, uh, but, but, you know, it's just been a very, very long time uh, since they've collected the trash. And, and uh, every, every day we call and ask for the, well, I say we, Randy calls, but I take credit for it. But Randy, Randy will call and he said, you know, he talks to this guy, he says, you know, we got this trash. Are you going to, yes, we'll pick it up. We're going to do it. We'll be there today. We'll pick up the trash. They don't come. They don't come. They don't come. I start thinking to myself. No, I don't think about, I'm going to take the trash and put it on their front yard. No, that's, that's, that's Bush League, you know. <laughs> See, I start thinking about, I should call them up and say, could you send a sales rep over? And when the sales rep gets there, say to her, well, our trash service is so bad, we need a new company. And she says, who's your trash company? And I can say, you are. <laughs> now go tell somebody that. Confession is good for the soul. I didn't do it, but thinking it's just as bad. But here's the deal. We start thinking about how to get even. What I could say, what I could do, how I could get back at them, how I could even the score, how I could make sure they don't get the better of me. And Paul says, if you're doing that, you're not following in the footsteps of Jesus. You're not looking for vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. And understand that there's something called the wrath of God. There's wrath against all unrighteousness. It is not as though we look at somebody, oh, they're getting away with it. God visits his wrath on all unrighteousness. And there's a judgment that comes. That's why uh, one of the best things you can do for somebody who's earning the wrath of God is to tell them, stop earning the wrath of God. Whatever you're doing, stop doing that. And oh, by the way, I'm praying for you that you'd come to know Jesus Christ because that's how the wrath of God is taken from a person's life. And so Paul says, don't try to avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Um, leave it to the wrath of God to take care of. Verse 20, on the contrary, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> I was talking to another, another pastor, a friend of mine, just this past week. And we were talking about, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, well, I'm preaching that passage that's, that says... Uh, uh, you know, uh, bless, your, bless your enemies and feed them and give them something to drink. He says, you know, I can't do that. And I knew what he was talking about. There, there was a situation going on in his life where he was being hounded unfairly and unjustly. And, and, uh, um, and it, well, I won't go into the details of it, but he was, I knew who, the, the person, I knew the person he was talking about. He says, I can't do that. I said, but you do know it says that if you give him something, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. He said, I like that part. We like that part. But I don't think, you know, it's not the idea of, oh, wow, you're going to show him who's who and what's what. Because, frankly, most people who don't know Jesus, they'll take it and run. They'll take it and run. I think what the passage of Scripture is saying, that as you are like Christ in their life and you offer the grace of God by example, you show them what it is to experience mercy and, and you extend that to them, that if they pick up the hint and the Holy Spirit works in their life and they come to Christ, then they are forgiven. But if not, then coals of fire are, are destined for them. It becomes another matter of judgment. 
It may also mean that by doing so, they'll, they'll feel ashamed of themselves. May the Holy Spirit will actually get a hold of them, and they'll be ashamed of themselves, and they'll just feel this condemnation that what they are doing is, is just terribly wrong. But however it works, our part of the equation is just give them something to eat, give them something to drink, and not treat, you know, treat that person as just looking for an opportunity to get back at you. So he says, on the contrary, you, you'd be more like Jesus. And then the conclusion is verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, the whole question here is, how much and to what extent is Jesus Lord of your life? How much do you really want to look like Jesus? Are you willing to go into a place that's very painful and very hard and say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to love like he loves and forgive the way he forgives. I want to bless people the way he does and the way he has done so. Again, for some of you in the room this morning, it's mostly theory right now. Someday it might be reality. But there's, there's enough folks in this room for whom we're talking about a real-life situation. And you've been thinking about an actual human being, somebody you work with, somebody in your family, um, you know, somebody, in, a neighbor or something, whatever it is. But you're, you're, you, you can actually give a name and a face. And the Bible says, bless that person. Would you bless that person? You see, when you bless the persecutor, when you bless the persecutor, you stop walking down the road of bitterness and darkness. Instead of walking that road that keeps spiraling down and down and down, and, and you keep thinking of worse and worse things to do, and you keep imagining worse and worse faults, and after a while, the person doesn't even have to persecute you. You just imagine it all the time, and, and you're just doing, doing all kinds of strange things to your head. But when you stop and say, I'm going to be a, an avenue of blessing, I'm going to bless that person, and somehow by the grace of God, I'm going to show them who Jesus is in my life. I don't know how, but the Holy Spirit uh, will, will give me the power and the strength and the, and the way to do that. And, and, and you, you decide you're going to live for Christ. You stop going down the path of bitterness and spiraling down into darkness. When you bless the persecutor, you're building a fortress against the enemy, against the adversary. You know, the devil is called the adversary and he's called the accuser. And what the devil loves to do is come up behind a Christian and whisper in your ear, see, I told you, you couldn't do it. See, I told you, you'd fail. See, I told you this Jesus thing was just a mirage. You're just as bad as you ever were. The devil wants to whisper that in our ears. Now, the reason it's effective is he's partially right. There still is a gap between who Jesus is and who we are. But the thing is, we're saved by grace and we live by grace. And, and, you know, the next time the devil whispers that in your ear, you say, well, you're already behind me, Satan. Get further behind me, Satan. I'm just not going to listen to you. And as you're blessing the person that persecutes you, the devil no longer has that hook, that way of, of sabotaging your joy in Christ and, and, and your rejoicing in the salvation of, of God's grace in your life. You're building a bulwark. You're building a defense against the attack of the adversary when you do what Jesus would do and you say what he would say and you bless those who persecute you. But you not only decline the journey into darkness, you not only build a wall against the adversary, but you also raise the banner of Christ. You lift up Jesus to be exalted among the nations. You do some incredible things that nobody could imagine, things like blessing the one who persecutes you. This is, this is something no other religion would teach and no other um, philosophy would advocate. But it's something that Jesus taught us to do. And when you do, 
you are lifting up Jesus among the nations that people would be drawn to him. See, God designed you for his glory. He designed you and the whole universe that he would be glorified. And the way he accomplishes that is he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to bring us into the family of God. That by his grace, we would be made fit vessels for the praise of God. And so God, the Father, glorifies himself through us by the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit working that amazing work that changes our hearts and changes our minds and changes who we are and brings us into Christ that we might acknowledge him, confess him, and live for him. And so we glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways we do that is by blessing the person who persecutes you. Now, I said this may be the hardest sermon you ever hear, and it's because the challenge may be the hardest challenge I've given to you yet. You know, recently I've been trying to give you something to do during the week, and you thought it was hard when I asked you to tip extra at the restaurant. You thought that was it. You thought it was hard when I asked you to just take $20 and give it to somebody that you don't know. Here's the hardest thing I've ever asked you to do. This week, I want you to pray out loud that God would bless that person. If you've got the name and you're thinking to yourself, can't do it. I just, I, I know you don't want to do it. I know you don't see it. And I know you'll grumble when you do it. But I just want you to say, Father, bless that person. And I want you to say it out loud. And then stand back and be amazed at how the Holy Spirit has changed your heart just a little bit. You pray for them every day that way. And it'll surprise you how you will be set free from the way that persecution is dominating your life. You still have to go through it, still have to deal with it. But your heart and your mind will be set free. I want you to be free that way. So, out loud, pray that God would bless that person. And then as much as you are able, if at all possible, live in peace with all men. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, the commandment of Scripture would be disheartening and discouraging, except that you give us the means and the resources whereby we can be obedient. Father, it is beyond us to forgive and to love and to bless that way. But, Father, your Holy Spirit can do the impossible. And so I'm praying for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit into our lives, into our hearts, to change us and remake us, remold us, Father, to use us for your glory. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.